From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, if the opening prayer of the 117th Congress is any indication, we're in for a bizarre two years. Now and evermore, we ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, and God known by many names by many different faiths. A man and a woman. Uh, that was Congressman Emanuel Cleaver, a Methodist minister, opening yesterday's session in the House with prayer. We'll talk about it a little later with Texas Congressman Louis Gohmert. We will also discuss his lawsuit that sought to give Vice President Pence the ability to reject disputed slates of electors. And speaking of elections, was it stolen in broad daylight? Phil Klein, former attorney general of Kansas and director of Thomas More Society's Amistad Project, has been briefing lawmakers on how executive officials in swing states facilitated manipulation of the election outcome through novel contracts and data sharing with these private groups. Phil is here with more later on Washington Watch. And while a lot of attention is focused on Wednesday's joint session of Congress to certify the presidential election, there is an equal amount of attention focused on the state of Georgia with its unprecedented runoff election for two Senate seats that will determine control of the U.S. Senate. Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn has been in the Peach State campaigning for Senators Luffler and Purdue, and she'll join us in just a moment with an update on this critical election. Also, FRC Action has been on the ground in Georgia over the holidays, knocking on doors to help turn out conservative voters for tomorrow's election. FRC Action's political engagement manager will join us live from Georgia with an update on what the team has been doing. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, it is uh, at T Perkins. And by the way, I want to thank all of those uh, who helped us at the year end to reach our goal, being prepared financially to meet the challenges of this coming year. So thanks so much for being a part of that. And I know I don't need to say this, but I know we have a lot of listeners in Georgia, and I don't, I know you don't need a reminder, but let me remind you, if you haven't voted already, early voted, Make sure you plan now to vote in tomorrow's election. The control of the U.S. Senate will be determined by this unprecedented election in Georgia tomorrow, where not one, but both of the state's Senate seats will be decided by voters. So far, over three million voters have gone to the polls, early voting, absentee balloting, they voted. But that's about one million lower than in the November election. So that means turnout tomorrow could make the difference in the election outcome. Here to talk about the contrast in candidates and what is to be determined by tomorrow's election outcome is Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn. Marsha, welcome back to the program. Thanks so much for being with us. Good to be with you. And yes, tomorrow is a big day and Wednesday is going to be a big day also. Well, I want to talk about both. First, you've been in Georgia taking time away to campaign during the holidays uh, for Senator Leffler and Purdue. Why? What's at stake in this election? Oh, it is control of the Senate. And Chuck Schumer defined it very well himself. He said, first, we're going to go take Georgia. Not we're going to win it. Not we're going to fight for every vote. But we're going to go take it. And then we're going to change America. And that has been his approach to this entire thing. They want to 
institute their socialist agenda with a statehood for D.C. and for Puerto Rico, allowing felons to vote, making certain that they repeal the Trump tax cuts, being certain that they implement the Green New Deal and that they push a government-run health care Medicaid-for-all type program And guess what? They're going to do that in the first hundred days. So this is the firewall. I tell people in Georgia, look, it's pretty simple. Five phone calls a day helps keep the liberals away because you need to be getting your friends and neighbors out to vote. And that is how this is going to be won in Georgia so vital for everybody to go vote tomorrow and to call their friends and get them to the polls. Now, that's quite a, a list of things that are on their to-do list of what they want to accomplish if they have uh, the majority of the Senate. But I'll have to say you're just scratching the surface with that list. There are so much that's more right. they want to do. Uh, undo all of uh, President Trump's accomplishments, they have in their crosshairs the Hyde Amendment, which is the prohibition against taxpayer funding to fund elective abortions, which is something you have fought for to uphold the sanctity of human life. That's at stake in this. Our military national defense is at stake. Uh, so much is at stake. What was your sense? And I've, I've been to Georgia actually uh, two or three times in the last month uh, myself. But what was your take Uh, as you interacted with voters there in Georgia? You know, one of the things that really surprised me was that Georgia voters were astounded that, um, that you have these two leftist radicals, a socialist who is a trust fund guy. You have a radical leftist who will not denounce Marxism and Raphael Warnock, And that they are the Democrat Party nominees. And Georgians are surprised that they're the nominees. They're surprised that people from outside of Georgia have been able to vote in their election. And they really can't understand why their state legislators and the Secretary of State have not cleaned this up. Yes, uh, the same same thing that I heard. Of course, when you look at Atlanta, about four million people there, they have a oversized influence on the state when it comes to elections. We had a similar situation uh, for years in Louisiana, where I'm from, with New Orleans being a quarter of the state's voters. Of course, Hurricane Katrina kind of changed that uh, situation. But there are rural voters in northern Georgia, which we've looking at the numbers. They have not voted early. Now, that leads me to believe one of two things. Either they're completely frustrated with the alleged irregular, the the fraud and irregularities that we've seen, um, or they're waiting to make sure that their vote counts by voting in person. I hope it's the latter. I am also hopeful it's the latter, and it's why President Trump is going into Dalton, Georgia, in order to make certain that those North Georgia voters get to the polls. If you want to protect President Trump's legacy, if you want to make certain that we keep these judges on the federal bench and that we do not expand the Supreme Court, if you want to make certain that we stop socialism every time they try to push forward on it, it is imperative 
that everyone go vote. Yeah, you, you pointed to this, but increasingly the stark contrast between candidates yeah. that we have the choice between um, is just so bright. I mean, there's such a clear contrast in Georgia that voters have tomorrow when they go to the polls. And and again, as you pointed out, what's at stake here is control the United States Senate. And if uh, the Democrats gain the control of the Senate, they will have they'll be able to run the table on the federal That's government right. with the, the presidency, uh, the, the the House and all of those things you listed, plus more. Uh, will be accomplished, as you said, very rapidly. You know, I remember having this conversation, Senator Blackburn, with a uh, a, a blue dog Democrat. That's a, they're no longer that's an ex, that they're extinct. But they're we don't extinct. see them anymore. <laughs> but there was one that uh, I was having dinner with in 2009 before the Obamacare was forced through Congress, knowing all the polling said, you know what, this is going to cost them the majority. And I remember having dinner with this uh, Democratic member, and I said, doesn't Nancy Pelosi realize this is going to cost her the majority and the Democrats are going to lose the majority by pushing this through? He didn't miss a beat. He said, oh, they know that, but they know they'll fundamentally change the country and the Republicans will never undo it. And I I, I hate to say it, but here we are, 2020, still have Obamacare. They don't mind using their majority to accomplish their agenda. So this is not rhetoric. This is something they will do if they have the ability to do it. You're exactly right. And they are planning to push as hard as they can. And this is why they have put all of these tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars into Georgia and trying to win this race because they want to fundamentally change this country and put us on a fast track to socialism. Yes, absolutely. And But the good news here is, uh, Senator Blackburn, dollars don't vote, people do. And if you're in Georgia, you need to vote tomorrow. Vote your right. values. Now, I, I, we've got a few minutes left, Senator Blackburn. I want to transition to another issue you made reference to. Big day here in Washington, D.C. on Wednesday when Congress meets to receive uh, the Electoral uh, College uh, votes. And you have joined with your colleagues in the Senate, led by Senator Cruz, calling for an audit of some of these states in question. Explain that to our listeners. Oh, I'll be happy to. And, yes, some of us had been working separately for a couple of weeks on how we best approach dealing with these disputed states and their vote totals. And, of course, hearing from people in the states um, about their concern with some of these non-elected officials who took it upon themselves to change the way mail-out ballots were done, to change the way uh, signature verification and authentication was done. So we started comparing notes. We pulled all of our ideas together and said, you know, using the model of 1877, where they met, put a commission together of five members of each of the House, the Senate, and the Supreme Court, and took a a period of time, we designated 10 days, conduct a review, bring it back to us, so that the American people know 
they have an answer on what happened in the 2020 election. And Tony, one of the reasons this is so important is look at what the Democrats did with the 2016 election. Mm -hmm. They never accepted the results. They said they were the resistance. They were going to obstruct and fight Donald Trump every day. They said he was an illegitimate president. The elections were illegitimate. So if you want to bring a conclusion to this, if you want to be able to define what happened, you don't just say, here's the problem. You say, here's the problem, and here is an action that will lead us to a solution. So let's do this. Let's halt. Let's have this review. And then let's have the, let's reconvene ourselves, hear the results, and cast our vote. So this could, if, if this is um, accepted, could this delay the uh, confirmation of the Electoral College um, report to Congress? It would put it 10 days. 10 it days, would put right. it on the 16th of January. Okay. I, they I, would have 10 days to do their work. You know, I, I think this is very prudent because what happens without this is that the American people will lack confidence in right. our system, whether it's in 2020 or 2024. That's right. And we have the best system on the face of the earth, and we want to protect it. Senator Marsha Blackburn, as always, great to have you on the program and uh, grateful for your leadership. Thanks. All right, folks, don't go away because we've got a lot more to talk about on this edition of Washington Watch. We're going to check in with uh, our folks. Worth loving is on the ground in Georgia. We're going to be talking with him about FRC's FRC actions, actions. How about that? Actions, actions on uh, in Georgia for the election. Also, talking to Phil Klein, former Attorney General of Kansas, about how the system was manipulated. That's coming up. Don't go away. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I, I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org Bible and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. In a recent poll... It was revealed that only 6% of Americans hold a biblical worldview. This research also indicated that Christianity's teachings on abortion, marriage, and homosexuality are not only misunderstood, but seen as dangerous and subversive. In response to this trend, Family Research Council has released a new set of resources in our Biblical Worldview series. In addition to our full publications, which cover the topics of Christian political engagement, abortion, religious liberty, and human sexuality, FRC now offers helpful summaries of each publication in this series, as well as accompanying prayer guides to help you and your family pray through these important issues. And finally, 
Our popular biblical principles for political engagement is now available in Spanish. All these resources are free and available at frc.org slash worldview. Again, that's frc.org slash worldview. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us on this edition of Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on parlor, it's at T Perkins. Let me uh, let you know. Tomorrow night, tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, we'll have Pray Vote Stand. We'll be doing it live from here in our headquarters in Washington, D.C. as uh, thousands and thousands of people come to Washington, D.C. for Wednesday as Congress meets in this joint session to receive the report from the Electoral College. So that's tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Also, the uh, the election results coming in from Georgia tomorrow night as well. But we'll be praying for the nation. Join us, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, prayvotestand.org. All right, speaking of the election in Georgia, the latest polling reveals that the Georgia Senate races, both, both of them, are neck and neck as they cross the election finish line tomorrow. It is so close. If you live in Georgia, your vote could make the difference. I mean, this is literally one of those elections where it'll be a handful of votes that will make the difference in this election. Well, joining me now to talk about FRC actions on the ground efforts in the Georgia Senate runoff races is FRC Action Political Engagement Manager Worth Loving. Worth, welcome to Washington Watch. All right, I think we're having a little audio issue there. All right, just, uh, Worth, are you there? Can you hear me? Yes, sir, I can hear you. I can hear you as well. I didn't know if maybe you'd lost your voice, all that campaigning you're doing there in uh, in, in Georgia. (laughs) Uh, Let's let's talk about, we've we've looked at some of the numbers. About a million less voters have voted early in this election than they did in the November election. What are, you know, we've got about 115 young people with Generation Joshua there on the ground over the weekend, knocking on about 13,000 doors, some 20,000 phone calls have been made. What are we hearing from voters in Georgia? Well, a lot of people are are really concerned. They're really motivated about this election, but uh, they're really concerned with how close the polling is and um, the consequences that could come if the Democrats do take both of these seats. And so, 
Um, we're seeing a lot of folks that have early voted, but not as many that voted early in November. And so that's why we're out there knocking on all these doors, making these phone calls. And we're targeting these, these folks that they're with us on the issues. They're pro-life, they're pro-family, but they're a little bit less likely to get out and vote right. than, uh, than our average voter. And so that's the people we're really targeting. And this is uh, this is our approach that we've used in the last few election cycles. Uh, North Carolina very successfully in 2016, uh, where working with Generation Joshua, putting uh, uh, hundreds of uh, young people on the street with uh, targeted initiatives, as you said, low propensity conservative voters. But just to kind of recount some of the things that uh, FRC Action has been doing in Georgia. Uh, prior to the Christmas break, we had a rally at Truett McConnell University in northern Georgia, which, um, worth that's going to be very critical what happens in the rural areas. That's where we're actually seeing some of the numbers lower than they were this time in the November election, which I, I want to ask you. I mentioned this earlier to Senator Blackburn, but some of what I've been hearing, and it's anecdotal, is that people want to make sure their vote counts, and so they're going to the polls tomorrow to cast that vote. Yeah, that's that's huge, I think. Uh, a lot of our voters, especially after what happened in November, they're concerned over that. Uh, they're waiting. We're finding out they're waiting until uh, tomorrow to go to their polls. And honestly, a lot of them are finding out that their actual polling location on Election Day is closer than their early voting sites, which are interesting. So... Yeah, a lot of our folks are waiting until tomorrow to make sure their vote counts. Well, that is uh, extremely important. We've always said if you're going to vote, make sure you vote in person, even in the early voting. Um, but we do want to encourage you, if you live in the state of Georgia and you have not yet voted, um, be sure and vote tomorrow. And, and, and look, vote biblical values. Now, uh, Worth, we have resources available on where these candidates stand on the issue so that people can cast informed ballots. I mean, we don't want these people to go out and vote. We want people to go out and vote wisely uh, and know where the candidates stand on the issue. Where can they find that? That's right. So we've got some very detailed voter guides at prayvotestand.org slash Georgia. And so that gives a, a rundown on where the candidates stand, all four candidates, where they stand on the critical issues. And as I was, again, talking with Senator Blackburn a few moments ago, the contrast between these candidates is remarkable. G- give our listeners just a, um, you know, a couple of these uh, contrasting positions that they hold. Well, you've got both Democrat candidates, uh, Ossoff and Warnock, that are, are publicly against um, the born alive bill that would protect infants that are born alive from a botched abortion. And you've also got two candidates that are for the Equality Act that would significantly undermine religious freedom, the safety of women and children in bathrooms. And then you've got two Republican candidates, on the other hand, that are very much for the born alive bill and very much against the Equality Act. And the choice could not be clearer tomorrow. Uh, I mean, we are... uh, As Senator Blackburn said earlier, I mean, the choice really is whether or not we preserve the republic or we march towards socialism in the viewpoints that uh, these candidates represent coming from the the, the extreme left um, that really wants to silence all debate 
and enforce this radical agenda. Uh, just a couple of other things to mention. A pastors briefing FRC Action did in Atlanta with uh, with African American pastors. Uh, culture a community impact team uh, training, which is uh, most of those are associated with churches, voter education, voter turnout. Uh, now the team there on the ground is going to be working through tomorrow's uh, election. Is that right? That's right. They'll be working until the polls close at 7 tomorrow. All right. Worth loving. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. And uh, I know Atlanta's normally, or Georgia's normally warm, but you get uh, out in some parts and it's a little chilly out there, isn't it? It's a little nippy. All right. Well, make sure you wear your uh, your stocking cap and uh, and your mask and go get some votes. That's right. We'll do it. All right. Worth loving with FRC action. And again, folks, if you live in Georgia and you've not yet voted, make sure that you vote. So critical. So critical. The country, the entire country. In fact, the world is looking at Georgia. You can find the resources at prayvotestand.org slash Georgia. All right, coming up next, the system. Was it manipulated? We're going to talk about it with Phil Klein, former attorney general of Kansas. Don't go away. The history of religious persecution in China is extensive, and many are not aware of the current oppression of religious groups taking place there. China restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale. This religious persecution targets those of every faith. Christians, Muslims, Tibetan Buddhists, and Falun Gong practitioners are all victims of the Chinese Communist Party's efforts to suppress any set beliefs that might compete with the party's ideology. This campaign against religion has had and continues to have devastating consequences for those who simply wish to live according to their conscience. Family Research Council's recently updated publication addresses China's consistent abuses of human rights and explains why they cannot be treated like any other country. Learn more about this issue by visiting frc.org slash China. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed, so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, i definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download, or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Again, let me remind you, tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Pray Vote Stand, live broadcast on the eve of thousands of Americans joining here in our nation's capital. 
All right, hundreds of state legislators in battleground states have been briefed by a six-person team from the nonprofit organization Got Freedom on the greatly contested election results from November the 3rd. Now, we've talked about this uh, in, in some detail. Now, really, the system was gamed. And joining me now to talk about this is Phil Klein, the director of the Amistad Project of the Thomas More Society, former uh, attorney general for the state of Kansas. Phil, welcome uh, back to Washington Watch. Good to be with you. All right, uh, Phil, let's talk about this very quickly. I don't want to I don't I want you to jump right into this. But what have you been sharing with these lawmakers in this briefing about what you have been tracking now for over a year in terms of what the left has been doing in these private public partnerships that have gamed the system? Yes, they, they have. Um, what they've done, Tony, is leftist executive officials have given sensitive private information of citizens over to leftist nonprofits who, in return, have provided hundreds of millions of dollars directly to county and city election officials, dictating how they are going to manage the election. And most of that funding came directly from Mark Zuckerberg, over $400 million, which is more than the federal government appropriated for elections during COVID back in March of 2020 in the CARES Act. So we had a shadow government managing these elections, particularly in the urban core, and they set up these procedures that allowed for the breach of the chain of custody of the ballots and the infusion of fraudulent ballots. Now, when I first saw this, I read a fir- the first report I read of this, I said, wait a minute, you can't do that. That's illegal. But in fact, the giving of money to these government entities is not illegal, as I understand it. Well, um, it's not a crime, but we believe it violates the Help America Vote Act and federal law. Federal law is focused on treating every voter equally, and states cannot receive those funds unless the state gets an approved election plan, which requires that the funds be expended so that everybody has an equal opportunity to vote. That makes sense. But what these cities did is they, on their own, created their own plans contrary to the state plan. And we believe that's a violation of the law. In fact, I know it is. Now, whether anybody will recognize that and what is becoming, and you've spoken of this often, Tony, I know, a lawless culture because of the deconstruction of truth. I mean, in, in this election year, for example, in Michigan, they kicked Republicans. They, they created a consolidated counting center the size of two football fields. And the law says that a Republican and a Democrat must be in the place of the counting. Well, you see, prior to this year, that meant a small table where everybody could see that the counting was being done correctly and ballots were being held properly. Well, what the Democrats argued is now we've got this building the size of two football fields. We're going to put the Republican in the cheap seats where they can't see what's going on. And we have complied with the law. This deconstruction of language and and removal of the purpose of the law defeats the law and results in lawlessness. And that's what we're seeing in America today is lawlessness. And, and of course, the coronavirus provided a great uh, smokescreen for all of us. Not saying the, the virus isn't real, but it was very convenient for them to use to manipulate these systems under the guise of trying to public. uh, You you bet. Now, think think about this. They said COVID required us to take these counting rooms that used to occur in wards 
And it was about a room the size of the room I'm in now where everybody could see what was going on. There'd be eight people or so counting ballots and looking over what's going on. And COVID required them to create a crowd in the urban core. But what that creation allowed is the infusion of and drop of hundreds of thousands of ballots at one location and also to kick America out of the counting room. But there was more. But there was more in this with these these uh, grants that were given, this money, yes. this partnership. For instance, as I understand and this is what I read, like in, for instance, in Philadelphia, where they were actually able to hire p- workers who went out and knocked on the doors of certain precincts, handing the ballots and then taking the ballots back and collecting them. It was like paid ballot harvesting. Yes, they did. And they deputized activists to do it. And in the grant, Tony, they actually mandate a private entity. This is like this is like elections brought to you by Coca-Cola or the National Rifle Association, Um, you know, except it's it's Mark Zuckerberg. They demanded Philadelphia have 800 locations for people to vote in that Democrat stronghold. And if they didn't, they would take back all their millions of dollars. And that's the two tier system. That's the two tier system. It was only for for certain precincts where they got the vote result that they wanted. Correct? Absolutely. You know, another example of that is uh, Delaware County, Pennsylvania, which receives Zuckerberg money. They put one drop box. It's a Democrat stronghold. One drop box for every four square miles. You know, that's two miles by two miles square. You could go out on a stroll and vote. In the 59 counties that President Trump won in Pennsylvania, there was one drop box for every 1,159 square miles. All right. We're, we're, we're out of time here, but this is a t- topic we're not going to uh, move away from. Let me just ask you this very quickly. Is there a remedy? Ha, we're trying. We're trying. It's the state legislatures. They need to vote to decertify. All right. We're going to talk more about this. Phil Klein, thanks so much for uh, joining us. As always, great to, uh, to talk with you. Thank you for the great work you Thank do. Thank you, sir. All right, folks, uh, don't go away because on the other side of the break, uh, Congressman Louis Gohmert of Texas is going to join us to talk about the effort he undertook uh, to give the vice president the authority to reject these tainted uh, slates of electors. We're also going to talk about the opening prayer in the House of Representatives. What's going on up there? It's, it's uh, disturbing, to say the least. That's next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. More to come. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday on over 800 radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Representative Vicki Hartzler, Molly Hemingway, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Dana Lash, Sissy Graham Lynch, Pastor John MacArthur, Eric Metaxas, Albert Moeller, and more. Tony is joined by leading political figures, pastors, and policy and culture experts who will inspire you to be engaged and informed on the important issues facing America. For a Christian perspective on the news of the day, tune in to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Ever since the Supreme Court handed down its infamous Roe v. Wade decision in 1973 that legalized abortion nationwide, a national debate has raged over whether the government should fund abortion. In 1976, 
Congress banned taxpayer funding of abortion and Medicaid by passing the Hyde Amendment. Several states have followed suit, passing their own restrictions on abortion funding. However, because government funding is a complex system of joint federal and state programs, completely banning taxpayer funding for abortions and abortion businesses like Planned Parenthood is challenging. There is still much work to be done to free the American taxpayer from funding the horrific practice of abortion. Family Research Council's new publication clearly explains the Hyde Amendment and why we need to keep it in order to save taxpayers from being forced to fund abortion. Access this important information by visiting frc.org slash Hyde. What's on your daily or weekly reading list? Are you looking for honest and informative commentary from fellow believers on the current issues facing our culture? Family Research Council has just the thing. Check out FRC's blog at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts as well as outside contributors. On our blog, you can read about a wide variety of topics, including religious liberty, life, marriage, family, sexuality, public policy, and the culture. Read up on some of our latest titles like Four Disturbing Trends in Religious Freedom Worldwide, Legitimizing Looting Jeopardizes Liberty for All, The Media Still Doesn't Get It, Conservatives Tend to Vote Conservative, and more. At Family Research Council, our mission is to advance faith, family, and freedom in the culture by helping you live out your faith and to stand for truth. Our blog is here to help you do that. Stay informed and get the resources you need at frcblog.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Parlor, it's at T. Perkins. Also, again, let me remind you, tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Pray Vote Stand. And, um, all right, I, I'm gonna, Louis Gomer is going to be joining us in just a moment. On uh, la- Last week, uh, he had filed a lawsuit uh, seeking to give the vice president, the essentially giving him authority or recognizing the authority he had to dismiss tainted slates of electors where there had st- states where they were in question where he had uh, two slates of electors um, on Friday a judge threw that out we're going to talk about that in just a moment but first yesterday uh, the 117th Congress met for the first time and they opened in prayer Emanuel Cleaver congressman from Missouri a Methodist minister opened in prayer. And here is, uh, it's a, it was a two-minute prayer. Here's the, basically the final 40 seconds of that prayer. Now may the God who created the world and everything in it bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon us and give us peace. Peace in our families, peace across this land, and dare I ask, O oh Lord, peace even in this chamber, now and evermore. We ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, and God known by many names, by many different faiths. A man and a woman. Uh, where do I begin? Now, most people have focused on the nonsensical statement at the end, a man and a woman. Um, This, by by the way, 
This is from the same party that in the rules that they're going to be voting on, they want to take all references to gender out of the conversation in the House. So no longer be he or she. Uh, they, they, They want to do away with that. But here you have a knucklehead interjecting gender into prayer. I mean, this is a Methodist minister. Amen has nothing to do with gender. It comes from the Hebrew word amen, which means truly or so be it. But this is, but but lest I get focused on that, what he, what is really baffling about this, again, from a Methodist minister, it tells you where the Methodist church is, quite frankly. I, I hate to offend you, but look, the scripture is very clear on this. Jesus said this in John chapter 16. By the way, these are the red letters. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Not in the name of the monotheistic God or Brahma, who is one of the Hindu gods, a polytheistic faith, or God known by many names. Look, this may offend some on the left, but so be it. America was founded as a nation based upon the Judeo-Christian faith. It was based upon Christianity. All right, look it up. Do your history. Know your history. Go back. Yes, we've strayed from that, but this is this country was not built on gods by many different names. In fact, where he made this state, where he made this prayer above him says, in God we trust, not in gods, but in God we trust. Folks, we need to be praying for this nation because this was blasphemy. And this shows us what this party is all about. It is dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. Joining me now to uh, to talk about this and more is our good friend from the Lone Star State, the first district of Texas, Congressman Louis Gohmert. Louis, welcome to the program. Thank you, Tony. Great to be with you. Trying uh, times. It, it is. I would have to say that you were disturbed by that prayer, I would think. Yes, but I couldn't hear what he said after amen. And, and anyway, I was at the back. And I was going, what did he say? And it was a woman, as, as you can clearly hear what you were saying. Uh, but this is where we are heading. And I knew that back when Democrats were in the majority back 2007 to 2000, January 2011, they were pushing hate crimes legislation. And I knew, and I said back then that uh, if we pass this, at some point, there will be Christian preacher that is jailed simply from reading directly from the Bible. And they thought I was talking about Romans 1. I was talking, I didn't want to tell them what I was thinking, but now they're there. Basically, uh, we've heard it from Bernie Sanders. We've heard it from Diane Feinstein when they were ask, asking questions. Sanders asking questions of Russ Vaught, a Christian and uh, Amy Coney Barrett was who was being questioned by Feinstein. And basically, they were grilling them because of their Christian beliefs. And that's where I was afraid we would end up having people come after Christians, those who actually believe what Jesus said. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one goes to the Father but by me. And as uh, Bernie Sanders, in effect, said, uh, 
anybody that believes that is just mean and has no place in government whatsoever. Uh, here you take the religion that's based truly on God, God's love. God so loved the world he gave his son. His son so loved the world he gave his life. And, uh, and turn that into a, a religion of hate right. such that you can't quote Jesus without being hateful. But uh, in the rules that just passed, we can't even talk about the Father, the Son, and Holy Ghost. That's prohibited on the floor now. Um, you can't talk. I can't talk about my late mother. Uh, as brilliant and funny and charming as she was, uh, obviously I didn't take after her. But uh, but I can't talk about my mother because uh, it's now forbidden by the House rules that are trying to be gender uh, appropriate. But Tony, you know, uh, we hear from Democrats quite often. Well, Republicans do this and that, and that uh, encourages people to join the radical Islamists. Well, the radical Islamists showcase this kind of insanity and say, see, these people are not worth keeping on the earth. They've lost all sense of common decency. And that really does help recruit uh, radicals against our civilization. So let me ask you on those rules, uh, has the House already adopted those rules? I know they were proposed. Have they been yes, voted they on? they were adopted within this past hour. So uh, I assume that the Republicans voted against those rules, but uh, outnumbered by the Democrats, they passed. Exactly. Um, I don't know if there were any Republicans that voted for it. I certainly hope not, but because uh, it wasn't just that. Also, uh, they inserted a provision that they thankfully watered down, but it's still bad that if you post anything on your official account that they find to be false, then that is referred to the ethics committee. Uh, well, I know PolitiFact, a bunch of PolitiHacks, they've never been fair to me. They've never, I mean, they're, if you were to accurately assess what they've said about me, you'd go false, false. Uh, and so many of the, what is Google now, Facebook, uh, basically so many of the high tech have sold out to China. Are they going to now decide what a Republican can put on their official um Website. I mean, this is serious stuff. It is. It is. It's silencing. It's silencing discussion and debate, which is essential to a free society. Exactly. Now, let me just ask you this question. Will the Republicans and I'm I'm hopeful and and we're going to work to this end to see the Republicans in the majority in two years from now. But let me ask you a question, Lou. You've been around almost as long as I have here in Washington, D.C. You've seen him come and go. Will the Republicans undo this nonsense? Well, if we get back in the majority, absolutely, yes. And uh, one of the first things we'll do is allow people to talk about their mother and father and sons and daughters. And, uh, you know, we won't be restrictive on speech the way they are. Yeah. Uh, by, by the way, I just want to point that out. You made reference to that, but I want people to understand what you're saying. In this gender, in removing references to gender, it is actually an attack on family as well, because yeah, they are deconstructing absolutely. the family 
and it's all about people and not about the individuals that make up a family, like a mother and a father and children. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it is an attack on the family. Of course, BLM, uh, I'm told it's not there anymore, but I've seen on their website that one of their big pillars is uh, destroying the Western-style family. And I was offended and amazed at their ignorance or, or their dishonesty. What we have in America has not been a, a Western-style family. It came from Moses. Yeah. As you know, it said a man shall leave his father and mother, woman leave her home, the two will become one. And then Jesus quoted him exactly and then added on the part what God joined together, let nobody separate. But but the bottom line is the families that we have historically had in America were not Western-style families. They were Middle Eastern-style families that came from Moses. Of course, Western civilization was give you know came to being uh, came into being because of Christianity and because of the teaching of Scripture yep. and set itself apart um, from you know the predominant Eastern uh, culture. It, it, but let me just speak to that for just a moment because I go back to the, and I'm going to get to a moment to your lawsuit, but I, I want to go back to this point of this opening prayer by Emmanuel Cleaver. Look, America is not a theistic country. We were not created as a theistic country, but we were founded as a country based on biblical Christian principles. That has guided this country. It is You see it throughout the documents of this country in our founding documents. You see it repeated by presidents and by others. There is a full-out attack on Christianity coming from our own government by those that are in power. I mean, not talking about the Trump administration. They've done more than any administration to protect religious freedom and uphold Christianity and, and people's ability to practice it. But I'm telling you, this Democratic Party, this new Democratic Party, these leftists are all about eradicating Christianity, in my view. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And it goes back to, to socialism. As uh, Dostoevsky, and, and it was quoted in Gulag Archipelago, uh, Dostoevsky said, the problem with socialism is not economic. The problem with socialism is atheism. And it is. And my summer I lived in the Soviet Union, that's what we saw. There could be no God. Now, they did allow the Russian Orthodox Church, but but people looked down on them. And I was so reminded of that, Tony, when... I heard in the last couple of days about some church being attacked and somebody spraying Christians or parasites. Uh, and some of that is, is being encouraged and spurred on by the socialists in our government, uh, including mayors or governors uh, that have said, yeah, you can have your liquor stores. And, and well, of course, the Democrats here, uh, when we first come back up here for the new year, they, they didn't want to take care of COVID or any. The first thing they wanted to do is is uh, make sure everybody had marijuana to smoke yeah. so they didn't notice how bad things were. <laughs> but uh, that's that same in the Soviet yeah. Union. It, it, uh, they it, liked it, people being alcoholics and well, being drunk, so they didn't fight back. Authentic religion stands in their way. Authentic Christianity yeah, stands in there. Right. All right, very quickly, we're going to run out of time. You filed a lawsuit on Friday. A judge dismissed that, uh, and then a panel uh, from the Fifth Circuit 
dismissed it. You were seeking to to make clear that the vice president had the authority to accept or reject tainted uh, slates of electors, right? Yep. Yes. So what did the judge say? Well, the judge uh, in the Eastern District of Texas did not take up the merits, uh, just simply said neither a member of Congress, which is in a special position and is affected by the the court's impropriety in not taking up and, and addressing the issue. Uh, and we also had um, electoral voters that were plaintiffs from Arizona. So one or the other, and I would submit both, had standing to bring this suit and ask for a ruling. And the court said, no, you don't have standing. Well, as I learned in law school, standing is a term that federal courts use um, when they don't want to take up a case and they don't want to have to decide something uncomfortable. So they say, oh, the plaintiff doesn't have standing, so we don't have jurisdiction, so we punt. So who, so who would have standing? So we to the Fifth Circuit. They came back and said, we're not touching it either. And uh, we're trying to work something out, but if not, we'll be filing uh, for a writ to the Supreme Court. So who would have standing, in their view? That's that's exactly my question, Tony. If none of us have standing, then there is nobody to have standing, and it means that the court system, the federal court system, has totally walked away from its job to decide disputes that are within its jurisdiction, within the uh, within the Constitution. I mean, wow. for heaven's sake, where else do you go? And I've been accused of of, uh, of pushing violence as the way to go. No, I've I know never, you, Louis. Ever pushed? Violence. I know, I know that would I've never happen. I've simply said that when it is important for our institutions like courts that are constructed to decide disputes in a civil way to do their jobs. Right. So we don't have yeah. what you historically hey, get. Hey, Louie, we got to leave it there. we got to go. Yeah. We're out of time. Right. Thanks, Thanks so much Tony. for joining Washington us, folks. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 